Welcome to the CME CE podcast, Let's Talk MRSA, 20 Frequently Asked Questions. Please review the complete CME CE information at www.mrsa20faqs.com. This podcast is designed to clarify frequently asked questions in serious MRSA infections that pose a threat to patient safety and add to the healthcare burden. Episodes released weekly are structured into four learning modules. Learners can apply for credit after reviewing each learning module. This is the third learning module, Clinical Tactics for MRSA Infections. There are seven episodes in this learning module. This is the seventh episode. In this episode, Dr. James Lewis from University of Texas Health Sciences Center in San Antonio, Texas, shares his clinical experience. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for speaking with us on this serious topic. In a previous episode, Dr. Thomas File explained to us the latest evidence-based approaches for the management of bacteremia and infective endocarditis. We also know that several agents that target MRSA have become available in the past few years. What we would like to discuss today is how can we differentiate among newer agents for the treatment of MRSA bacteremia and endocarditis. So my first question to you, Dr. Lewis, in light of these newer agents that have come to market, such as linazolid, daptomycin, televancin, and tigacycline, does vancomycin still have a role in the treatment of MRSA bacteremia and infective endocarditis? You know, I think that, that despite widespread reports of its demise, that what you're going to find in most U.S. hospitals is that vancomycin remains the go-to drug for the vast majority of patients. I think the challenge and the question really becomes is how do we best with the currently available data that we have, decide when these newer agents really have a role and what exactly that role should be. I think that given the New England Journal of Medicine publication in 2006 by Fowler and colleagues, that really daptomycin has the edge as far as data goes, as far as preponderance of evidence goes, over really any other agent besides vancomycin for MRSA bacteremia. I really believe that the role of linazolid, though there is some intriguing salvage therapy, remains somewhat sketchy at this point. And I can't really imagine a situation where I personally would use tigacycline uh, for MRSA bacteremia. So I really think that at this point in time, especially until Televancin develops more data, that at this point it's a two-horse race between daptomycin and vancomycin. At this point in time, with the data that we have available, it's difficult to say that daptomycin is clearly superior. I think that there's a lot of interest in this, at this point in time in higher doses of daptomycin and whether or not that will offer any advantages over the 6 milligrams per kilogram that was studied in the New England Journal of Medicine paper. But until that data becomes available, I think that with what we have at this point in time, that it's really a dead heat and becomes very patient-specific when deciding which to go with for MRSA bacteremia. Okay. So um, when considering using vancomycin, does combination therapy offer any advantages, such as adding an aminoglycoside? You know, I think that what has become increasingly clear, especially as we've gone back and looked at the daptomycin bacteremia study, is that the addition of genomycin, even for a short period of time, results in considerable nephrotoxicity. Now, the analysis that was performed by Cosgrove and colleagues and published in CID that examined this used some rather interesting definitions of nephrotoxicity. However, I think that the message from that paper, and I think that the accompanying editorial, which was excellent, really make a lot of very valid points about the difficulties that are associated with combination therapy. 
when you look at that analysis, what you really saw was that Vank plus Gent and surprisingly even oxycillin plus Gent when it was used for MSSA resulted in a considerable amount of nephrotoxicity even though most patients received no more than four days. I think given that and given the lack of clear data that you really improve outcomes much with the addition of aminoglycoside, I think a, a large number of experts are really moving away from the recommendation of using aminoglycosides on a routine basis. I can tell you that at this point in time in our clinical practice, we have really um, largely abandoned the use of aminoglycosides in native valve, or native valve endocarditis. Prosthetic valve, in accordance with the guidelines, I still think it maintains a role, but I think we've all become more acutely aware of the difficulties and the potential nephrotoxicity that even short-course genomycin brings to the table. Okay. So, so you mentioned that vancomycin is still a major player in treating these infections. Um, are there certain patients where when an alternative agent can be considered? I think absolutely um, that there are situations where particularly adaptomycin um, has a role. I can tell you that from our clinical experience that really situations where vancomycin um, is difficult to keep within its therapeutic range, um, patients where maybe they've done very well and you're ready to try and transition them out and home health becomes problematic with the multiple daily dosing of vancomycin, um, situations where maybe there was some acute kidney injury and there was some question as to whether or not that was associated with vancomycin use. I think these are all situations where daptomycin potentially plays a role. Agents other than daptomycin at this point in time, I remain very hesitant to use, especially in high gr higher grades of MRSA bacteremia, such as endocarditis. Okay. Now, um, when, when, you're, when you are able to consider the newer agents, are there any criteria a clinician can use to select the optimal alternative agent? You know, again, I try to be as data-driven as I possibly can. And so from that standpoint, I really think that vancomycin and daptomycin remain the two with the best data in bacteremia. I think the million-dollar question that we all kind of have right now is what is the role of televancin? You know, with its improved potency against MRSA, does it really offer us a, another, another alternative to vancomycin for MRSA bacteremia? And I think that until we get more clinical data and experience with that compound, that that, that issue is going to remain out there. Again, given the preponderance of the data um, with daptomycin, I think that dapto and vanc just remain the gold standards. And until other agents are able to generate comparable data, it's, it's very difficult to routinely recommend other alternative agents. Okay, so my final question to you then is, are there specific challenges when treating infective endocarditis, and how can these challenges be overcome? You know, I think that really one of the biggest issues that we get into is the duration of therapy and the complications um, of home therapy that oftentimes can arise in these patients. When you're dealing with MRSA, when you're dealing with endocarditis, you know that you potentially are going to have prolonged bacteremia out into the eight and nine day range. We know that that was true for both the vancomycin arm and the daptomycin arm in that study. So you're looking at prolonged bacteremia, and I think we would all like to find ways to improve that. Unfortunately, the data is not really clear on how you shorten duration of bacteremia in these people. We've seen that adding rifampin now in a couple of studies didn't really bring much to the table. We've already talked about the dangers of adding genomycin. 
So you have a long course of therapy. You have potentially a very high-grade bacteremia where you're very concerned about metastasis to distant sites. You then have to make sure that your patient is able to tolerate and you're able to establish monitoring to care for that patient through the entire four to six weeks of therapy that they are now basically prescribed. So again, I think that Given that four to six weeks of therapy, especially if you're using higher doses of vancomycin, and you start to run into any acute kidney injury, um, I think that can be one of the challenges, especially if they have moved to an outpatient setting. The other difficulty that we run into quite frequently is managing vancomycin levels um, in an outpatient setting where maybe primary care follow-up isn't as good. Maybe the patient doesn't have a primary care physician who's routinely managing their care. And, you know, I think, again, that may be a potential use for daptomycin going forward because you just don't seem to have, the, or you don't have, I would argue, the difficulties in monitoring and ensuring optimal therapeutic levels that you run into with vancomycin. Also, it does, you know, we, we, I think, are still really stuck in this debate about how nephrotoxic vancomycin truly is. But taking that debate and putting it aside, that is an issue in managing these patients. When they start to get into acute kidney injury at week three and you need to get two, three, four more weeks of drug into them, how do you handle that? Again, I think that's potentially a niche for daptomycin because of the basically the lack of nephrotoxicity that we have seen with that compound when used as monotherapy. So again, I think that's, that's kind of an intriguing role for that compound, and it really does address potentially one of the major challenges that we see when we're taking care of MRSA endocarditis. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for giving us some important information on these difficult infections. And I ask the audience to please join us for subsequent discussions to learn how we can address the challenges of MRSA infections. Thank you. <laughs>